us be too. And we just want to keep this thing going and do everything we can to make sure we put on a good show. Thanks for your time, Kai. to another episode of Typical Swish on the Typical Twist Podcast Network. It's been a while since we've been back for an episode. We've had a couple technical difficulties with the last recording. It was all my fault. I take 100% accountability for that. Uh, we recorded one last Wednesday, the night before the draft, and our original plan was to recap the NBA Finals and just kind of talk about the season a little bit and then get into some draft predictions. And we did predict our top five draft picks and but you guys never got to hear that because I was an idiot and didn't have my gain on my microphone set to how it was supposed to be so the entire hour-long podcast that we recorded was kind of all for nothing so kind of was down about that for a while and I wasn't able to get another episode out the next day because uh, on Friday the day after the draft I actually had three of my wisdom teeth removed so today is kind of the first day I felt good enough to kind of get behind the mic and talk again so uh, I apologize for that, and we should be back on a, a weekly schedule of one to two episodes, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And today I'm joined by typical Swish ho- uh, co-host Sam Kavan. How are you doing today, Sam? Um, I'm good, you know, just uh, surviving, doing my thing, excited for uh, free agency coming up Thursday, I believe it's supposed to start. Yep, free agency starts Thursday, and is that Thursday at midnight, or is that like a, in the afternoon? Because I, I can't remember how that usually works with the NBA. Oh. That's a good question. I, I think I'm thinking it's like I thought I saw 3 p.m. somewhere, but we we can find that, figure that out. Yeah, I think you're probably right because I remember the trade deadline ended at like 2 or 3 p.m. or something like that. So I think that's how the NBA kind of operates. Yeah, usually the afternoon. Thank God it's not like an album. You know, they always drop those at like 11 <laughs> midnight. I wouldn't want to stay up for all that. But speaking of staying up for albums, I stayed up to listen to that new Drake album and stayed up late the night before work and uh, was a little disappointed. Can't lie, I'm not a big not a big dance style Drake fan. I was I was looking for the raps, but yeah. What, uh, what this, did you think about that album, by the way, Sam? Oh before you man, start this, on some basketball. This, this guy, yeah, this guy I'm working with here in Houston is a huge Drake fan, and he was swearing up and down, telling me, "Oh, you have to listen to it in this mindset." I'm like, man, <laughs> I, I guess I did make the error. I listened to, I looked at the track list, and like Twenty One Savage, my you know. He's my guy. I love his music. So I looked. I saw the Drake and Twenty One Savage song at the end, and I was like, "Oh, that like that was really good." Like, I was excited for the rest of the album after listening to that. And then you know, there's the intro, and then in the first real song of the album, he went with that like high pitched voice. I was like, "What in the hell is going?" He just on? doesn't have it like that anymore. No, he doesn't so. have it like that anymore. And I'm I'm listening to the rest. I'm like, dude, I. Like I get, I did go through it a second time because you know my uh, uh, friend down here told me to, but I, I'm like, I guess I get more where he's coming from, but that doesn't mean it's good. Um, so yeah, I was, I was a little disappointed. I mean, I got my 21 Savage song, but outside of that, yikes. Yeah, that was a big W having the 21 Savage song at the end. It's almost like Drake knew that in order to kind of have this album be socially accepted, he would need a a slapper at the end of it with 21 on it. So I figured you'd be really happy and excited about that because I know you've always loved 21 Savage. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, way back, like, I think since, uh, what, Savage Mode 1, you know? Uh, uh, Yeah, it's been a long time. I've been on the 21, even through all the British stuff, so... (laughs) So uh, getting into some basketball stuff, today I'd like to start with a Bleacher Report article. 
that uh, I found today. I actually watched a little bit of a YouTube video on it, and I, I watched the first two trades get discussed, and I thought this would be a good topic for to start off our discussion today. So the, the title of this article written by Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report is Five Realistic Star Trades After the 22 uh, NBA Draft. And uh, some of these make sense and some of them don't make a lot of sense. So I figured I I'd just kind of get your raw reaction to it as I read these out. I actually only know the first two, so I'm going to be reacting to these with you after the first couple. So the first one uh, kind of hits home for you. It's uh, Kyrie takes his talents to South Beach. So the trade is actually Kyrie Irving to the Miami Heat for Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero. So this uh, trade is coming after Kyrie accepted his $36 million player option. So that's how the salaries work with Kyle Lowry making, I believe, $29 million and Tyler Hero making that rookie scale deal, about $8 million. Yep. So the salaries match up. And honestly, this trade is very interesting for me. I just don't see the heat going through with it because I don't think Kyrie's personality necessarily matches up with the whole, you know, heat culture kind of thing they have going down there. And I don't see them giving up on Tyler Hero after one bad performance in the playoffs. But I figured I'd let you take the ropes on this one because you're a bigger Miami Heat guy than I've ever been. So what's your initial reaction to Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero for Kyrie Irving? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, that's the first trade I've heard, you know, I've been hearing tons of ever since, well, the whole, it was mostly manufactured by social media, right? But the Kyrie leaving Brooklyn thing, um, saw a bunch of sign and trade deals with the heat and almost all of them involved, involved, uh, shipping Bam out of bio up to Brooklyn. Um, that dude, there's no way, yeah, there's I no way they go that. through with that. That's not realistic. This is the first I've heard that doesn't salary wise. It matches up. Um, and I, I, th I think if you look at just the players, obviously Kyrie would be a good fit pretty much anywhere, right? Anywhere in the league. He's just that kind of special player, you know, special talent. But mm. um, it, I see it working in Miami, definitely. Um, and I think Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero, if the Nets were able to pick up um, another score or two in free agency to compliment Kevin Durant, obviously they need a ton of depth as their main issue. That would help with the depth part, um, although those two weren't the most reliable in the postseason. Uh, it, that I can see that both sides potentially going for that, but I think you're right. Um, I don't. I think KD really. It, it seems like you know he's he's in Brooklyn to play with superstars, not to you know no offense to Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero, but he's not there to play with Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero, right? And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I just can't see like all that. It, uh, I remember towards the end of the regular season, there's a big thing like Udonis Haslam and Eric Spolstra were like fighting Jimmy Butler and they almost swung at each other <laughs> or whatever. Like I, if, and that was enough of a circus, but they actually used that to bond together as a team and played a pretty excellent basketball after that point. Yeah. Um, that's something we talked about. I remember right when that happened, yeah. I'm like, well, this is typical heat culture. I mean, stereotypical heat culture, you know, you hear that get thrown around, but Initially, when I saw that, I'm like, well, this is just going to bring the team closer together because they thrive on this kind of stuff. So, and when you add, I think basketball fit, like when it comes to just skill set and uh, X and O's, I think Kyrie Irving is exactly what the Heat kind of missed in this postseason. Uh, I mean, they just missed, they just lacked that half court creation because Kyle Lowry, I mean, maybe four years ago could provide some of that. And Tyler Hero, to an extent, can give you one or two games a series of that. But, I mean, Kyrie is a more consistent option on offense like that. And I think that the Heat could definitely benefit for another ball handler next to Jimmy Butler, uh, especially one that can go for 30 to 40 on any given night. And, obviously, mm -hmm. I think Jimmy Butler and Kyrie have uh, some Team USA chemistry. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, a few years back, I mean, or maybe longer than that, uh, they were quoted saying they'd love to play together. So I think basketball, 
a basketball fit would work good, but I just realistically, I just don't see either team going through with that, like you said. And I think the whole Bam out of bio thing, I heard about that too. I just don't think if there's one player on the Heat that they won't trade, I think it would have to be Bam out of bio. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Behind behind Jimmy Butler, which you I mean, yeah, consider, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy yeah. Butler. You don't look at him as even. That's obviously like he's in that untouchables column. But yeah, I, I think the player they would be least likely to trade outside of Jimmy would be would be Bam Adebayo. Um, and yeah, you're right. Basketball wise, it could work for both teams. I don't think I see that happening just for the reason that, man, I, I don't know if uh, Pat Riley and Spolstra and those guys in Miami would put up with all the uh, the great basketball. Yes, but the other things that come with uh, Kyrie on teams recently, I can't see them doing that. Yeah. Pat Riley would not agree to something like that, I don't think. But so uh, I would like to clarify before we get into the next four uh, trade scenarios. These aren't trade rumors; these are just uh, trade scenarios that were proposed by uh, the by Bleach Report in this article. So these aren't rumors; these are just something that could potentially work out, and just some ideas to kind of put in NBA fans' heads as they're waiting for uh, free agency to start. So the next trade uh, we're going to talk about uh, involves the. Sacramento Kings and the New York Knicks and this is one that when I first heard about it I just kind of didn't get it but as I look at it a little more it makes a little more sense but so in this trade the Kings receive RJ Barrett and Derrick Rose and two first round draft picks and the Knicks obviously get De'Aaron Fox and personally I'm I've never been too high on De'Aaron Fox uh as a I mean in the league today I think if you're going to be a point guard and have the ball as much as someone uh, like Darren Fox, I think you got to be able to shoot the three ball, and that's just something he hasn't proved to be able to do yet at a high enough level. And I just don't. I I honestly view R.J. Barrett as a more valuable asset than Darren Fox. I think if I had to pick a a player to not necessarily build a team around, but just to kind of you know set my core around, you know, have him be a part of the core, I I think I'd take R.J. Barrett just because of the versatility and length on defense and the potential there as well as the improved ball handling and off-ball uh, shooting and spacing that R.J. Barrett can create. I mean, Derrick Rose is kind of just a throw-in there to kind of replace uh, the point guard minutes that the Kings would be missing. Yeah. But also, the Knicks would be giving up two first-round draft picks. I just I just think they're giving up way too much for an asset in De'Aaron Fox who has just seen his value decrease over the last couple of years. So uh, what do you think about this trade? Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think – Two first rounds, especially for how early the Knicks have been drafting recently, those are probably <laughs> going to be two pretty valuable like picks in the down the road, right? Um, yeah, Derrick Rose just to throw in, um, but yeah, RJ Barrett. That's that seems like too much to me. I I feel like the if that were to happen, I could see something like that happening. Maybe it'd have to be more balanced. Like if I'm the Knicks, I'm I'm definitely rejecting that one. Um, and I thought maybe it was a kind of a contract thing because I know um, RJ. I saw an article I can't remember where uh, talking about RJ Barrett um, is now eligible for his uh, first extension, right? Um, yep. And that I think it could be up to thirty million dollars a year, and they have all the way until um, what July first of next year to do it. So there's no rush on that or anything. Yeah. But the Knicks are going to have to decide pretty soon whether or not they're going to commit to RJ Barrett. Problem is, Aaron Fox, or not the problem, but the, th- the thing is, Aaron Fox, I'm looking at his contract right here is um, five years, $163 million guaranteed, which is an average annual salary of $32 million, so it's pretty much the same contract. So if they – I can't see that happening in the offseason, but mm-hmm. maybe something similar uh, midseason, next season, if like a, uh, maybe a sign trade 
type thing if they don't think RJ is going to be their number one or at least number two guy down the road. But this offseason, I just don't see that happening yet. I, I mean, I know uh, the Knicks ownership loves to torture their fans, but I can't see them giving up on RJ Barrett that quickly. For a yeah. guy who, like you said, is just in a very three-point heavy, especially point guard um, kind of ecosystem, is just not like that so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And we've kind of seen the Knicks' strategy over the last few years is not necessarily to rebuild through the draft. Uh, as they, they did kind of hit with that R.J. Barrett pick, he's slowly developed into a good player. But they've been mostly trying to clear up cap space over the last few offseasons. And obviously we've known hasn't worked out well for them at all. They, were tr- they put all their eggs in one basket in free agency a couple years ago trying to get KD and Kyrie. But they ended up in New York, just not the, not the team that they wanted. Yeah. Uh, the Knicks wanted them yeah. to play for, obviously. But now they're kind of doing that again this year with some of the trades they made in the draft. Uh, instead of drafting, basically uh, they they traded away that pick. It was number nine or eight or nine, I think. And they kind of made some moves to clear up more cap space. And we've heard rumblings about the whole Jalen Brunson, New York kind of thing. So this trade just De'Aaron Fox and Jalen Brunson backcourt wouldn't make much sense. So this trade to me is just gets a double thumbs down and. I think we're we kind of uh, are ready to move on to the next one, in my opinion. Yeah, so, definitely. <clears throat> the next one uh, involves Miles Turner, and this is a player that I'm a big fan of. I think he needs to adjust his game a little bit to kind of fit in a winning ecosystem. But this trade involves the Indiana Pacers and the Toronto Raptors. So the trade consists of Miles Turner and Chris Duarte to the Toronto Raptors for OG Ananobi and Ken Birch. So I like this trade because the Raptors have been kind of looking shopping around for a center for the last couple years and they've kind of had just one year kind of rental centers we've seen uh Serge Ibaka I mean Ken Birch has been one of them and I mean we've seen Jonas Valanciunas a long time ago and they just kind of have these centers that stick around for one or two years and they haven't found that franchise not necessarily franchise center but just a a cornerstone center they can build around and build a defense and a competent offense around and I think Miles Turner has potential to be that guy I mean, he can space the floor. I think he shot 33% from three as a center uh, when he's playing for the Pacers, which the spacing isn't the best, which is still impressive to me. So I think they get their center here, and they also add Chris Duarte, which I'm a big fan of. He's a great shooter, off-ball player, who who would fit nicely next to Fred Van Vliet and uh, rookie uh, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. I think he'd fit well there, as well as maybe they'd be able to develop into, into a better defender, as uh, Toronto's known to do. And... Toronto kind of frees up some space on the wing and getting rid of OG Ananobi. Not that they need to do that, but I think if they cleared up some space on the wing for Scotty Barnes to develop more and some of their younger guys like that, I think that's this is a decent trade for both sides. And I think this is the most realistic trade out of the uh, first three we've seen. So I actually am a big fan of this trade, and I wouldn't mind seeing both teams pull the trigger on this. So, And especially since the Indiana Pacers did draft Benedict Matherin at number seven, he's kind of an off-ball shooting threat uh, to add to the backcourt. So getting rid of Chris Duarte isn't that big of a deal. So what's your opinion on this one? Yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of liking this trade, and I'm looking, uh, first thing I look up when I hear Miles Turner and leaving the Pacers, I'm like, well, you know, he'd be the best player in that deal. Also, though, um, he is an unrestricted free agent next year, so if the Pacers already kind of have a feeling that he's not going to re-sign with them, um, and obviously I don't think they're um, realistically looking to compete for a championship this coming season, they're just not there yet, Um I think you look, man, if he's not coming back next year, what can we get for him now? And I, I, you said Ken Birch and OG Ananobi? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, Ken Birch, solid big man out of rotation. OG Ananobi, young wing, who, uh, you know, can do a little bit of everything. I, I think if you're the Pacers, if you either a just aren't don't want to go with miles turner think uh like like you said their new uh draft pick their new rookie can kind of fill his role and then and or b um you don't think miles turner is going to resign with you next year i think if you're a pacers fan you don't hate this obviously you're not really look you're not you know they're in a rebuild right they're not in the win now uh kind of scenario and that could i mean clear up some cap space um get a return for a you know pretty important asset and if you're the raptors um yeah, I mean, I I like that a lot. They they really have been, like you said, kind of rental big men. Um, so adding a guy like Miles Turner in, and uh, they'd probably have to talk to him too and see if he'd be willing to re- resign the next year because otherwise they're not getting much in return for OG and Anobi. Um, but that's a guy that could maybe get him out of this little kind of stint of mediocrity they've been in since Kawhi Leonard left. Um, that could be a move that could make them kind of a dark horse in the East. So I, I actually do like this for both teams. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think this is probably the best trade, like I said, we've seen. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something along the lines of this trade go down. Maybe not necessarily with the exact teams, but I can see Miles Turner getting shipped out. And I think the writing's been on the wall for a couple years, honestly, with this rebuilding team. And Miles Turner doesn't necessarily fit their time frame the best. So it'll be interesting to see what team he ends up on or if maybe they decide to keep him around and maybe make him their uh, cornerstone center for the future. Mm-hmm. So... Moving on, uh, we got a player that has been rumored in trades kind of during the regular season and now. Uh, these trades are kind of heating up again uh, this offseason. Uh, this trade involves the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets. And this trade consists of John Ho- <clears throat> excuse me, John Collins and Kevin Herter to the Charlotte Hornets for Terry Rozier, Kelly Oubre Jr., and P.J. Washington. So initially, what strikes me is... I, I like the John Collins and LaMelo Ball pairing. I think it's kind of similar to what Trey Young and him were already doing. But Kevin Herter adds some more shooting to that Charlotte team and that young core they have. And that's something they were really lacking as they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league last season. So Kevin Herter will definitely help them improve in that aspect. And I think taking uh, Terry Rogier off the roster, he's a good backup point guard. But ultimately, I think you need to be getting... Uh, uh, LaMelo Ball 40 minutes a game and Terry Rozier just won't be able to fit into that kind of rotation and is it uh, is Mike D'Antoni rumored to coach the Charlotte Hornets or is he did they hire him I can't remember what I heard about this do you know uh, anything about that I don't know anything about that I'm gonna look that up That's, I didn't yeah I haven't yeah that might have been rumored but if Mike D'Antoni does decide to take the head coaching job for the Charlotte Hornets then I think that Terry Rozier needs to go because then you got to play you got to kind of go the James Harden route and you got to kind of make LaMelo ball that perimeter centric, that kind of ball dominant point guard who the offense just flows through every possession. And that taking Terry Rogier out of the equation will help that. And Kelly Oubre Jr. and PJ Washington to the Atlanta Hawks just kind of, it kind of fits what they're trying to do. They need more size. They need more athleticism and defend uh, wing defenders because I mean, the Miami Heat just made an absolute joke out of them in the first round. Those games were really hard to watch. And as a Heat fan, that might have even been hard for you to watch. (laughs) Them just absolutely dismantle uh, the Hawks in that first round. So I think Kelly Oubre Jr. and P.J. Washington bring an interesting dynamic to the Hawks. Uh, If this trade were to go through, uh, just more length and size next to Trey Young, who obviously is a liability on defense and needs to be hidden as much as possible. So... It's kind of not a, a high caliber trade with stars in it necessarily. John Collins obviously being probably the best player in the trade, but uh, it's not 
it doesn't make it's not as ethical as the last trade we talked about. But what what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'll repeat it again. So uh, it's John Collins yeah. and Kevin Herter to the Hornets for Terry Rozier, Kelly Oubre, and PJ Washington. Yeah, I I think the first thing I thought of when when you said that is I I. I agree with you that this helps LaMelo Ball, and I also think it helps Trey Young. Um, I, I think both teams, this could be a trade they do just to help out their young star point guards, right? Uh, like like you said, LaMelo needs minutes. He just needs to be out there. Um, I mean, working on his finishing first and foremost, but, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, moving mm-hmm. on, um, he needs to be out there as much as possible, running the offense, just running everything through LaMelo. Uh, if you're Charlotte, he's got to be your guy until he – you know, he, he, until he fails to be that guy, and it's obviously way too early to call that. So this clears uh, some of that up for him. Also gets him Kevin Herter, great shooter. John Collins, great finisher, like you said, can be a similar situation to Trey Young and what what they had. Um, but also, I think if you're the Hawks, you add Terry Rozier, um, more than likely bring him off the bench, right? Uh, get some scoring at that point guard spot off the bench like that series against Miami like you said hard to watch sometimes mostly because Trey Young was just so awful which wasn't even due to him missing shots really it was due to the stifling defense Miami was able to play Mm -hmm. um and then when they put their backup point guard in there they could just kind of let their guards relax a little bit didn't have to play up on him because the I you know I'm gonna be honest I forget who it even was it just like no offensive creation out of there was not really a threat two shot create to get a bucket off the bench we needed him to and Terry Rozier could be that guy. So I I say, um, and those other uh, spots as well, they help out both teams depth-wise. You always need more wing players, more finishing inside. Um, brings a little defense to the Hawks as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like this mostly for the point guards. It gets LaMelo more time, makes him know that he's really the focus. Like, this is on you. You got to pull through. Um, and if it's the Hawks, Trey Young already knows he's that guy. It gets him a little relief because uh, – that he desperately needed um, in the first round of this year's playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I think you said it best. Uh, this definitely helps out both point guards on both teams. And ultimately, the those two teams that we just discussed, the Hornets and <clears throat> the Hawks, are only going to be as good as their point guards are. So the best they can build around them, the, best their team, the better their team is going to be. Uh, I think we both agree on that. So that trade is kind of a neutral one. I think both teams could benefit from it, but it could backfire. Who knows? I mean, we can't read the future but yeah. uh, the last trade we're going to discuss is uh involving miles turner again and it might not make as much sense when you initially hear it but i'll, I'll kind of break it down why this this trade makes a little more sense than uh, i initially thought because when i first heard this i'm like uh, i don't i don't like this but it is deandre ayton from the suns to the pacers for miles turner straight up now they would have to match whatever uh the sun it'd be a sign in trade uh for these teams and uh the suns would add have to pay DeAndre Ayton around $20 million to match the salaries. So in that case, it might not even happen because he might demand more than that. But basically, if the relationship with uh, DeAndre Ayton and the Suns front office and Monty Williams is as bad as it kind of looked at the end of the season, do you remember what kind of happened, how he kind of played himself off the court and Monty Williams uh, said it's kind of an internal problem when he was asked uh, in the post post-game conference about what happened about Bench and DeAndre Ayton and the confrontation they had. Do you kind of remember that, uh, how the, this kind of rift started between Ayton and the Suns? Yeah, no, I, I just remember that he wasn't, I mean, yeah, I, I'm a little fuzzy on all those details. It's been, a, it's been a minute now, but I remember him not being out there producing when the Suns really needed him, which obviously is not yeah. acceptable um, seeing how that series turned out, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that, in that game seven, I mean, no one from the Suns was really producing at the level they needed to. And I think that it's kind of unfair to pin it on DeAndre Ayton because I think in that first round against uh, 
who did they play in the first round? I'm, I'm completely uh, Pelicans, oh the right? the Pelicans, yeah. Uh, they were missing Devin Booker in that series, and DeAndre Ayton averaged like 18 and 11 on great efficiency and was making tough shots that were really necessary for the Suns really to pull pull that series out uh, without Devin Booker. So I think that the Suns' front office has just been known to not pay their players when they deserve it or not to overpay for players and build a roster, uh, an expensive roster, that is, uh, in order to win. So I think they'd be dumb not to pay DeAndre Ayton and keep him around, but... If they were going to try to save money, this move for Miles Turner makes sense because Miles Turner is a better floor spacer than DeAndre Ayton. And maybe not as good of a defender, but a shot blocker. I think Miles Turner has DeAndre Ayton beat there. So if the Suns were going to regain any value from DeAndre Ayton instead of just losing him straight up, this would be pretty much their only option because before uh, it was kind of rumored that they were going to trade him to the Detroit Pistons for Jeremy Grant maybe. That was maybe one of their only options with that kind of signing trade, but... It's looking like this is probably their only option if they want to retain that that uh, value at center. And I don't think Miles Turner will ever be the player that DeAndre Ayton is, but if they're going to try to save face here and keep talent at that center position, this would probably be the best move they can make. So uh, it it doesn't make the most sense, but it, you can kind of see where I'm coming from. What do you think about this? Yeah, I I know I absolutely see where you're coming from. It it doesn't make sense, but it does. And I think, you know, similar to the Pacers Raptors tree we talked about. And then looking at um DeAndre Ayton and the Suns, I haven't heard much coming out about what's been going on there since they were eliminated from the playoffs. But um yeah, for both of these teams, again, if the Pacers know that Miles Turner isn't gonna resign and the Suns either know that DeAndre Ayton isn't gonna resign or they or they aren't willing to pay him or it's just you know the the uh, relationship is unsalvageable then you could consider the switch because you don't lose too much I think it'd be a slight downgrade for the Suns but not enough to really be too significant um and if you're the Pacers you're happy you're happy with that as well considering you know in this scenario Miles Turner wasn't going to resign anyway um mm. yeah I don't know this that's intriguing I think that is solely this DeAndre Ayton getting moved at all is solely based around the Suns and that relationship. I, I don't know what that's like. Maybe it's unsalvageable, but like you said, I think they'd be stupid not to pay him, but maybe he doesn't want to be paid there. I, I don't know. We, that just remains to be seen. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I've, I kind of forgot about that whole drama thing with all the, you know, the finals and the um, the draft and, uh, you know, pending free agency, but yeah, that, that, that'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And what we just talked about could just be completely uh, irrelevant because maybe the Suns just go out, go ahead and pay DeAndre Ayton and everything's fine and they just run it back again. But that kind of wraps up the five potential trades that Bleach Report listed on this article. And I think it was a good, good uh, little warm up here before we get into some draft stuff. So in the last episode that we recorded that didn't get to get posted uh, based on those technical difficulties that were my fault again, we did our top five predictions. So we all, uh, me, Sam, and my father all agreed on our top five uh, that we thought was going to happen. So in our initial prediction, we thought Orlando was going to pick Jabari Smith at number one. And it's really interesting because uh, Orlando kind of pulled this this uh, trick on us where they didn't even have Paulo come and work out for them. So initially I was like, okay, they're not going to draft him at all. So I think they were kind of baiting other teams to maybe see, they were like, look, we're going to make it obvious that we're going to take Jabari Smith. So if another team really wants him, they'll make a trade because our real guy that we want is Paulo Boncaro. So maybe we can get some value out of this pick if we can get another player to bite on that based on the fact that we're making it seem like we're going to pick Jabari Smith. And you know what I mean? They might they might try to bait another team into giving them some more draft compensation to move down that, a little bit. 
That's the same deal. Um, did the the Celtics did that to the Sixers a few years ago? Oh yeah, yeah, Tatum perfect and, comparison. And Fultz, right? Yeah, that's. I, I mean, and I guess it didn't work out as well for the Magic, but that that has to be what they were doing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's honestly that gives me some hope for the Magic as an organization. I mean, it would be a little alarming if they were just straight up saying, "Yeah, we're gonna pick Paolo Bancaro number one," because I mean, then you lose all leverage in any trade negotiation. Which, uh, you know, props to them for giving it a try, but. Uh, I, I guess no one ended up biting on that because I think uh, Houston ultimately wanted Ben Caro, uh, as as we did predict, because our top five, uh, we all agreed on Jabari Smith, number one, to Orlando, Jet, number two, to OKC, which was right. Number three, we predicted Ben Caro to go number three to Houston because we just thought it would be a more better basketball fit. And number four, I think, uh, I can't remember if we agreed on this one, maybe not, but I said number four, the Sacramento Kings should select Jaden Ivey at number four and trade De'Aaron Fox and just rebuild around him at guard. And uh, they ended up taking, uh, let's see, they took Keegan Murray, I'm sorry, out of Iowa. Yeah. And they left Jaden Ivey on the board for the Pistons, who I think the Pistons had low-key one of the best drafts in franchise history. And we can get into that a little later. So our top five was a little bit off, but I think everyone's was. I mean, the odds in Vegas shifted at midnight from Jabari Smith at number one to Paolo at number one. So I think Paolo for the Magic, it make, it makes sense. They just need they they need that franchise cornerstone, and I think Paolo is a better example or is a better you know he's just a better. He has more upside than Jabari Smith does. And I think Jabari Smith is going to be more NBA ready when it comes to both sides of the ball. But I think if the Magic are looking for that firepower at number one and they want that cornerstone to build around, I think Paolo is the right decision. And I mean, they could have taken Jabari Smith and I would have been mad about it. And I think all the the top three picks in this year's draft, I think they're all pretty happy with who they got. So uh, is there anything that you'd like to talk about when it comes to the top five picks? Oh, yeah. Well, with the top three, um, I, I didn't say this when recorded, but um, I, I was pretty set. Well, the one I would have been shocked if it didn't happen was was Chet to, to the Thunder, right? Uh, and I, we all knew that was going to happen. I believe we talked a little bit about, like, ah, I'd be surprised, but not, like, totally shocked if the Magic took Bancaro and the Rockets took Smith, uh, you know, instead of the way we predicted it with, with Smith going first. So I wasn't totally mm-hmm. – I was surprised by that. But, yeah, it is, it is encouraging to see a front office that has uh, – struggled as much as the magics in recent years to kind of play i mean it they got their guy uh they didn't get their trade but it still worked out for him to see him at least trying something like that uh, has to be encouraging if if you're an orlando fan um and and then yeah with the kings i i i agreed with you i thought maybe you take Jaden ivy you try to ship Deer and fox out maybe for rj barrett like that trade said um looks like they're set around Fox. I thought maybe he'd go with Benedict Matherin from Arizona over Keegan Murray from Iowa. That's, that's the one guy who didn't go in the top five that I thought would go in the top five. Um, not a terrible mm-hmm. Keegan Murray, right? Um, certainly should be able to help uh, pretty immediately with them, but I, I was surprised like you didn't do that. And yeah, if you're the Pistons, man, to get Jaden Ivey alongside a, such a great distributor like Cade Cunningham, you gotta be very pleased with that. Uh, they, yeah, they, they, uh, finally some some basketball joy in Detroit for the first time in like 15 years yeah man I'm excited for them they're gonna be one of my favorite teams to watch this year and I think getting Jaden Ivy at number five is a huge steal I think that's great value for them oh yeah and putting him next to a guy like Cade Cunningham Cade Cunningham is gonna have the ball most of the time but Jaden Ivy as a secondary ball handler uh is it gonna, is it gonna be great to take that pressure off Cade 
and having uh, Sadiq Bay at, at the wing position there to space the floor and do things off the ball as also a, a great defender as well. And then what I'm really impressed uh, with them is they were able to turn uh, Jeremy Grant into the number 12 pick, which was, or not the number 12 pick, I'm sorry. Uh, it was the number 13 pick, excuse me. They yeah, traded yeah. that and they turned Jeremy Grant into Jalen Duran, who I'm a huge fan of, a 19-year-old out of Memphis, one of the best defensive prospects in the draft. I think he really represents what Detroit Piston basketball has been over the last couple decades, just that tough, athletic, uh, high-motor kind of guy at center who, I mean, he's not going to be a dominant NBA center in his first couple years, but I think they can really turn him into that. I mean, as cliche as it sounds, they can turn him into that kind of Ben Wallace, uh, maybe Rasheed Wallace kind of mold. You know what I'm saying? I think he can really fit that that Pistons basketball kind of culture. And I think they really hit on their uh, two draft picks in the top 12. And I'm really excited to see them play uh, this year. I, I, yeah, I, I get, that's the first time I've agreed with someone saying I'm excited to watch the Pistons ever in my life. Cause when they, last time they were good, you know, with the, um, what they win it in, uh, Oh four. Um, yeah, it was Oh four. I, I, I wasn't watching basketball as a, as a, what I would have been three and a half in the summer before. <laughs> um, I was not watching basketball at this point. This is the first time that I can remember like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what develops in Detroit. Obviously, uh, uh, you know, you don't expect them to win a championship right away with that kind of a young core, but give it two or three years, and that's a team that could definitely make some noise in the East, and you got to be happy if you're a Pistons fan there. After praising the Pistons for the great job they did, I'd like to kind of shift directions here and talk about what the Blazers did with their number seven pick. So they ended up taking Shaden Sharp out of Kentucky, or out of Kentucky, I guess you got to say with quotations, because he didn't actually play for them, and we haven't even seen him play basketball in a couple years. So He's a player that I would be a little hesitant to pick in the top 10, but, I mean, his talent is just undeniable. Obviously, uh, teams are really high on him and what he can do, but as a basketball fit in Portland, I just I just don't see it because I think they should have taken a more you know, NBA-ready kind of guy, and we see Dyson Daniels and Jeremy Sohan fall right behind him, who definitely are more NBA-ready and more proven, obviously, because we saw them play last year. But also the fit next to Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard, you add another 6'3", 6'4", kind of ball-dominant guard next to those guys. I just I just don't know what they're doing. I just don't see them being able to develop him into the player they really want him to turn, him in, turn into next to Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons. And we know that the Blazers are kind of on this timeline where they want to do this quick rebuild around Damian Lillard. And we saw them add uh, Jeremy Grant to the team, which I like. I think he's going to be a good player next to Damian Lillard. Yeah. But I think they would have been better off taking a guy like Jeremy Sohan, a defensive-minded guy, uh, to kind of make up for some of the mistakes that, I mean, these guards are going to make. I mean, Anthony Simons is not a good defender. Damian Lillard has never been a good defender. I mean, Yusuf Nurkic isn't a good defender either. And I think that uh, Jeremy Sohan would have been a better option there, maybe. Uh, I mean, Dyson Daniels out of the G League, uh, I think he would have been a better player. I've seen some Lonzo Ball comparisons to him. And I think, I mean, a guy like Dyson Daniels who needs to improve on his shooting, but as a, he's a good playmaker, great defender, more NBA ready than any of these prospects around that were taken around him. I think he would have been a better fit. So why, why do you think they took Shaden Sharp here at seven? Do you think they just took him based on uh, overall talent? Or, I mean, it obviously wasn't about a basketball fit here. So what do you think the Blazers are doing there? Yeah, I don't know. You would think, right, if, if they're going by, usually if you're a team drafting seven and you're going most just best talent left in the left of you know in the pool of available players um 
you're in a rebuild, right? Like a full-on rebuild, not a not mm-hmm. a quick rebuild here. And, and you're right for a roster with um, Damian Lillard and uh, uh, Anthony, Anthony Simons. Simons. Anthony Simons, it, who just had a breakout yeah. season. Who just had a huge season. It, and you want the ball, obviously, in Dame's hands, but in, in his hands, like, you want those two to run the offense, do their thing. And also, they have another backup point guard already in Eric Bledsoe who can provide some defense. Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just adding depth through with the seventh pick, maybe if they're picking late in the first round, but the seventh pick to add depth to their guards there when you could have had a, a defensive group at the three through five, uh, Nurkic, not great defender, but Jeremy Grant, decent defender, at least definitely as a skill set, uh, to be a good defender in the right system. And then Sohan, who I'm very high on as a defender. I I mean, you run those three guys with all that length there at the three through five out there with two great scoring guards and in, in Dame and Anthony Simons. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So unless there's some 1000 IQ play that the Blazers have in mind when it comes to trading, I mean, God forbid they trade Damian Lillard after all these moves they've made, or maybe they trade Anthony Simons, which I just don't see them trading Anthony Simons. I mean, his value is definitely high, but I mean, his contract is, I mean, it's, I'm pretty sure he's making like 4 million. I just don't know who they're going to be able to trade him for. So yeah, it's just going to be interesting. I mean, something could always happen that makes it make more sense here coming up, but yeah, just looking at it uh, surface level here right after the draft. I I mean, I agree with you. I just don't see what they're doing here, but and another thing here, looking at their roster, they, they remember, I, I kind of went under the radar a little bit because he was hurt, but they, they traded for Joe Ingles, another not great defensive oh, yeah. guard. I mean, more of a wing guard type deal, but like still like what? I, I don't, I don't know. And, and Josh Hart too, like where is he going to, where is Shaden Sharp going to play? They're just going to be so lineup? undersized. Yeah. I don't know where he gets, where he gets valuable minutes, like doing the things he needs to, do to develop unless they make some trades. So uh, maybe they have a big, uh, free agency period planned here but as of right now i i don't know unless they plan on going ultra small ball with a bunch of not great defenders i'm not sure uh, where they're looking here yeah and it's just so interesting because i mean we've seen them flame out in the playoffs going ultra small ball with no defenders i mean they've made it to the conference finals a couple or a few years ago with damon cj but i mean that recipe has never worked and they're just gonna try to run it back with different players i i mean i just don't no, see it just they, don't they see didn't it stand a snowball i mean that yeah, they were they were able to make a great run to the conference finals and a few other like good playoff showings, but they didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of beating the the powers in the West Not at that at point, which mainly the Warriors, you know, which who was beating the Warriors at that time, but they didn't have a shot, like no chance. Oh yeah, agreed. So we can move off them. I mean, like like we said, something else could happen that makes it make sense. But a couple other guys that I mean, we can talk about Jeremy Sohan to the Spurs, and I think he is going to have a great career with them, and I think I can see him sticking around with them. Uh, I mean, he's kind of from around that area. Isn't he from around that uh, Texas, Oklahoma area? I can't, I, man, I can't remember. Well, I, he's from like uh, overseas originally, right? Oh, but is he really? I'm, okay, I yeah, have this completely I, wrong. Oh, he's from Poland, no, huh? Good. Yeah, yeah, Poland. And then I think lived in, either lived or played in the UK for a little bit. Um, but, you know, went, went to school at, in Waco, which is a, uh, you know, two and a half hour drive from uh, San Antonio. So he stays uh, close to a place he's familiar with in that aspect at least um but yeah no i i was uh, in our you know technical difficulties pre-draft episode i was i was pretty high on jeremy sohan i did not see him going as high as nine i thought maybe more in like the 11 to 13 range like the real late lottery but yeah i was i was super happy to see him go nine like really happy for him you know getting to watch him at at baylor and i think 
any team that drafted him outside of like the top five picks, which he would have been too high for that, um, is going to get a guy who should be able to contribute right away, as well as having some potential down the road for improvement. I, yeah, I really like that uh, for the Spurs and um, hopefully uh, Popovich or if Popovich steps down soon, whoever they have running the show there will be able to get him into their system and, and run that well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, him going earlier than that original 12 to 13 uh, range where you had him slotted, I think it makes it makes sense where, I mean, that he could potentially jump up, especially a team like the Spurs that are known to take players like that who are just kind of NBA-ready. I mean, he has an NBA-ready body, 6'9", 230. And, I mean, we talked about he can, he's going to be able to guard pretty much one through five when he's fully developed into a defensive player. And I mean, something that impressed me when I was kind of going back and watching some highlights of Baylor, his passing vision for a big man is is really impressive. I mean, he didn't get a lot of opportunities with the ball because they've obviously had a, a few different ball handlers on the team that were taking very, possessions away from him. Yeah, very guard-dominant ball handling mm-hmm. system. Yeah, But when he did get the opportunity to make plays, I was impressed with his vision. So, uh, yeah, I think that he's definitely going to fit into that that role for the Spurs. Oh, absolutely. I, I like I like the Spurs' whole first round as a whole. I mean, uh, you get Malachi Branham out of Ohio State. That's a that's a solid pick at 20. And then um, Blake Wesley at Notre Dame, he had a, he had a really great, um, you know, it, well, first uh, three games in the NCAA tournament there to help Oh, them. I didn't even know. I didn't see they took him. That's a great pick yeah, at 25. And they were able to get him at 25. Um, obviously, that's more of a project guy, which, you know, when it's your third first-round pick in a single year, I think even if you're the Spurs, you can afford to take a little bit more of a project guy. Um, but that's that's a dude who absolutely can step in the lineup right away. A uh, guy in Mal- Malachi Branham, and I hope, I hope I'm saying that name right, who should be able to contribute a little bit as his uh, rookie year. Uh, and then Blake Wesley, who may not, but in a few years, absolutely can. Um, yeah, yeah. I, Spurs are another team that I think drafted uh, drafted very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other guys that I really liked for some teams. I think the Cavaliers and Hawks definitely hit on their 14th and 16th picks. I think the Cavaliers getting a Baji out of Kansas is going to be nice. They're going to get some spacing out of him, and they're going to be able to develop him into a nice player next to Darius Garland in the backcourt. And uh, I like AJ Griffin for the Hawks as well. He provides more spacing out of Duke. Uh, and getting into there's three other players that I'd like to really talk about with you. So I think I'd like to start with the Heat's 27th pick, Nikola Jovic. So uh, he's from Mega Mozart. He is, uh, I got, I can't remember. Is, is he like 6'11"? I know he's like 6'11", 230 or something like that. 6'10", so 6'11", yeah, around that area. He's kind of in that Nikola Jokic kind of body body type. So yeah. uh, what do you have to say about him? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, I... With him falling all the way to 27, obviously, when I'm looking at mock drafts, he sticks out just because, uh, you know, Nikola Jovic, like, that's a funny name, whatever. Um, but, it, you know, watch, uh, as I do after every first-round draft of, you know, any team that I cheer for, I spend about an hour watching their first-round draft picks highlights, um, which was difficult to do with the Chargers this year when they take a guard in the first round because, you know, guards don't really have highlights. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, Jovic, like, walking, watching his highlights, uh, every – like man, his his skill set offensively, he's a little loose with his handle right now. Um, but as a 19 year old, that's something that absolutely can be improved. Just the his basketball instinct on offense and the way he moves with the ball while a little bit slowly and maybe a little bit uh, uh, you know loose on the control. Man, like give that two years under some good coaching, and that looks pretty good. Um, he has the physical tools to be a good defender. As of now. Um, I mean, if you were to play in an NBA game like right this minute, I don't think you'd do very well on defense. But you get him on a good off-season conditioning program, get him into that system, and the Heat do well at at kind of hiding players on defense. I mean, they're able to play uh, 
well, not in the playoffs, but they they were able to make a bubble run to the finals with Duncan Robinson getting heavy minutes. So if you can hide I him mean, they on were, defense, they were one shot away from being going to the finals. Sam, don't they were short. right. Yeah, they were right there. I mean, you you had a guy in at twenty seven there who should be able to contribute a, a little right away, even if his rookie year he doesn't develop a lot over his rookie year, but. Absolutely, in two, three years, I mean, as a dream, you know, I don't know what his potential rating on 2K is or anything, but you get him at the four, you get Bam at the five, you get two, like, 6'10 guys, one and Bam, who's obviously a, a world-class defender, and then you get a guy who can stretch the floor and ball handle a little bit at the four and Jovic. Yeah, man. That fit is uh, yeah. That's exciting. That's what I thought of right away. Obviously, not what you're looking for necessarily right away this season, um, but a season or two down the road, as Jimmy Butler gets older, that's a... Uh, um, damn, I always forget if the posts are the front court or the back court. They're the front court, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's a front court you can definitely um, kind of lean on in, in the future here if, if he develops like I think he should be able to. Yeah, and I think that he, him and Bam are going to complement each other perfectly because what Nikola Jovic lacks on the defensive side of the floor, Bam Adebayo is able to make up for that. And Nikola Jovic does exactly what Bam Adebayo doesn't do on the offensive side of the floor. So this is a... Front court duo, like you said, down the road, two to three years, which I think could be a really scary one in the NBA and could really give a lot of NBA front courts a run for their money. And I could definitely see him starting for them at, I mean, I think the power forward and center position, if they start together, is going to be kind of interchangeable with those two because it's just going to yeah. be, they're going to put Bam on obviously the better offensive player in the front court on the other team. So it's going to be interesting to see what those two players can do down the line. But uh, a couple other players that I saw fall pretty low. I remember like a year ago when, I mean, the way too early mock drafts a year ago, I mean, Patrick Baldwin and Ty Ty Washington were both lottery picks. And Mm -hmm. those two fell to two contenders at the bottom of the draft. So the Warriors ended up taking Patrick Baldwin out of Milwaukee. He is a 6'10", kind of small forward, power forward, 231 pounds, had a lot of upside a couple years ago, but has fallen due to his kind of lack of a handle. I mean, he has that natural scoring ability, but... I just, I was a li- I was really high on him coming into this draft, and I thought maybe he could uh, go in the upper twenties a little bit. But he ended up falling to the late first round, and I think this pick for the Warriors. I think they're good at developing guys like this who kind of maybe fall on their potential a little bit, but are able to bounce back with the Warriors' development. So I think that Patrick Baldwin, if they can really turn him into something <clears throat> in the late first round here, I, th- I think if any team can do it, I, I mean, it'd be the Heat or the Warriors. So oh yeah, I think. That could be something to look out for, definitely. Yeah, and I, I see. I mean, yeah, Patrick Baldwin. Um, obviously, like you said, he's got this. He's got the skill set. He had a disastrous year in college this year. Yeah. Injury problems. Shot terribly. Um, it, it, it's a pure project pick, right? But if you're the Warriors, what do you lose if this doesn't turn out? Oh no, the like a 28th pick. Like when does that? How often does that turn out to be a, a, a smash hit? You know, and you just won the. Finals. I mean, Jordan Poole. Yeah, yeah, there you go, right? Like, and, and they get well, yeah, but they they give him time to develop. Like, obviously, they don't they don't need a guy like Patrick Baldwin right now. They just won the finals without him. Um, but you know, you you give that a few years, you let him work in the system. Uh, you know, play with guys like Steph and Clay and Draymond and be coaching or Steve Kerr. I like that. Uh, and I was talking with uh, with Kobe Simons about this. I, I like that just because it's a pure project thing, right? Like they're a team who absolutely can afford to do that right now. And I like how they kind of swung for the fences. Now they may strike out and, you know, fall over on the faces with this pick, but again, like big deal, like, you know, yeah, exactly. they, they didn't, they weren't looking to get another championship piece right away out of this 28th pick. So I, I really like that draft. And like, like you said, he's got that skill set. Um, a year ago, 
you know, in the way too early mock drafts, that would have been a huge deal for him to fall that low. It's just, yeah, if anyone can develop him, like you said, it's it's the Warriors. So I I, uh, I hope he turns out for them. Um, just remains to be seen. Mm, I, I think a fair comparison would maybe be not as drastic, but I think a Michael Porter Jr. kind of comparison. I yeah, think they're, they yeah. have the same kind of skill set, same kind of build, injury, history. They both fell drastically in the draft. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what kind of career arc uh, his – his NBA career takes. So one last player before we get out of here that I'd like to talk to you about that you know a lot about is a player that I predicted to go in the lottery before the college basketball season started. And that is Kendall Brown out of Baylor, your school. Yeah. And he ended up going, let's see, I just lost him. I just completely 48th. lost him. Yeah, it was 48th to uh, the Timberwolves selected him, but he ended up getting traded to Indiana. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he almost fell out of the second round. I mean, he was almost yeah. uh, a two-way contract kind of player. So, he ended up getting picked 48th. So, uh, what do you see here? Well, and we, we talked about this in in that you know in that uh, technical technical difficulties episode. Sorry, but uh, I I I didn't see him going high first lottery. I thought I thought late first. Um, it I you know I really thought, and this is part of the Baylor fan of me. I really thought he could have benefited from another year in college, getting to run an offense because he's just not Definitely. capable of doing that right now. But again, yeah, man, if you're the he he's got probably the highest potential out of any guy taken in the second round this year. Um, I don't know. I hope the Timberwolves can develop him well to see him fall that far was shocking. But if you're a Timberwolves fan, again, if he doesn't pan out, it's a second round pick. Like, you know, not, not don't want to sound blunt here, but yeah, I mean, these are second round picks we're talking about. Yeah. Who who, who cares? You know, like if he doesn't turn out, but man, like he's got that athleticism. He's got the, the build already has that defensive skill set. I I don't know how he fell so far, but as he does, uh, or as he did, um, yeah. Hopefully he turns out. I'd be interested to watch him. I don't know how much I'll get to watch him because I don't know how much he'll see the court in you know the near future. But I was shocked. Like I kept checking my phone. No way. Like, am I missing something? How is this guy not gone? It's like the fortieth pick. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was it was shocking. Like like you said, I. Had him very high, um, even in the middle of the college basketball season. I can't believe he fell that far. Yeah, that's something we talked about uh, a couple or maybe a month ago when you hopped on that first podcast. You came over uh, and recorded mm-hmm. in my living room. We talked about him maybe going potentially later in the first round, but he, he ended up falling late into the second round. So I think uh, he'll benefit from going to Indiana because, I mean, they're not going to try to win a whole lot of games this year. So he's going to get a lot of run, and maybe uh, he'll be able to kind of – reshape his value in the NBA and maybe he'll prove to be a better he'll prove to be one of the better second round picks here let's hope so man let's hope so something I didn't see until now uh, the player taken right after Kendall Brown was Isaiah Mobley and that is uh 49 to the Cavaliers so they picked up Isaiah Mobley that is Evan Mobley's uh older brother from USC yeah so I think I didn't know I didn't know that happened so I think that's kind of cool that they drafted him so I think the brother dynamic in Cleveland will be cool to watch I I don't think Isaiah Mobley will ever amount to much in the NBA besides maybe no. a serviceable third string power forward slash center. But I think it's cool that they have uh, those brothers on the team now. That's just something I saw now. Yeah, you always love to see that. Just like, uh, is it is it Thanasis Antetokounmpo who's on the Bucks? Yeah, I think who, it's Thanasis. Well, you know, it's I, one of them. Yeah, one of the two. But yeah, it's same. De- I mean, not same deal, but similar deal. Like, I yeah, I, I, I also just saw that. I was like, oh, Isaiah Mobley, that sounds familiar. But yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Same team to get them to be able to see them be able to do that um if anything hopefully this just helps evan mobley's progression a little bit more so i yeah i, yeah. I like that for the Cavs as well mm-hmm. one more thing i wanted to kind of bring up because i saw an article on the ringer uh about this 
the the thunder right and their new uh, their new thin towers which is oh yeah I completely forgot yeah. about this no that's like a hilarious nickname right but there there's point at the end of uh, end of this article where they're talking about running a lineup with um, Josh Giddy at six eight. Uh, you got six eight shooting guard slash point six guard. eight shooting guard. Uh, I'm not sure how tall Lou Dort is, but like you know, you put him at the three. He's, and then he's you, six four. Yeah, somewhere in there. But, but you know, he plays defender. bigger. He plays bigger he, than his he size. He plays much bigger than that. And then and then you run uh, Poku and and Chet Holmgren out there, and that that leaves your well, your shortest guy is Lou Dort, followed by uh, Gilgis Alexander, who's six six. I mean, and then you got a six eight shooting guard and these two big guys. I. I don't know. I'm really interested to see how this turns out for them. Can you? That's a defensive nightmare. That many long arms yeah. plus Lou Dort, who, like you said, is plays much bigger than six four. Like he can be the kind of center point of that defense, and then you bring all that length out there. Like that could be. We saw how well that worked for the Raptors this year, providing length, and this just took that and put it on steroids, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I don't know. I'm interested to see what the Thunder can do down the road here. Um, obviously, you have no idea how. Any of these guys are going to play together outside of uh, Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy, who did pretty well together uh, when they were able to get out there. But I, yeah, I don't know that. I saw that and I thought about it. I'm like, man. And then they take, uh, they take, uh, was it Usman Dang? You know, off the Knicks, who's mm-hmm. a six ten forward, uh, drafted all the way up there in the lottery. Also can play some minutes. That that is crazy. Something in common that all the Thunder big men have uh, is. Mark, Mark Dagenholt, the head coach, loves to push the ball in transition. So he's really going to coach Chet Holmgren and Poku and even Darius Baisley. Kind of, he's kind of their big men like that. And like you said, uh, Usman Garuba, is that, how you, is that how you say it? I can't remember what we, we've been saying. Uh, so, it's something like that. I, yeah, D- but he's yeah. going to – oh, it's Dane. I completely said the wrong wrong guy. <laughs> no, uh, I was like, my bad. I don't know where you're getting that from. No, 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 no. That's, that's a different guy, different guy. But uh, he's gonna tell he's gonna have those guys push the ball. They're gonna grab rebounds, and he's gonna have them push it in transition. And seeing two seven foot uh, fast ball handlers grab a rebound and come at you in transition, I think. I mean, obviously next year it's gonna be a project, but down the road that team is gonna be scary. And I think that's kind of the identity that Mark Dagenhol and Sam Presti in Oklahoma are trying to push, and that's gonna be really exciting to kind of watch yeah, develop this, over the next few years. This could be an identity. This could be an identity we've never seen before, like in NBA history, right? This sounds like something you throw together on 2K when you take some expansion team and just pick up all the super tall, skinny <laughs> guys, right? Like, and then not to mention, also in this article here, they list uh, Jalen Williams, who's picked twelfth, the the shooting guard Jalen Williams, not the center mm-hmm. Jalen Williams. Um, He's six six, and his wingspan is seven two. Holy, seven foot really? two wingspan. Yeah, that is, dude. That that's like built like Slenderman, man. Like I, I don't know for them to be able to run that long arms all over, like the steals to transition opportunities in a bunch of lineups he can put out there, are like a two K rebuilder's dream. I mean that. Obviously, yeah. it's going to take some time. We have no idea how this is going to work out. But this could be an experiment like we've never seen before in the NBA. And because we've never seen it before, could be, you know, could be a tremendous failure, could be a huge success. I just, I'm excited to see it kind of play out. This might, man, I catch me over here. I might actually tune into some Thunder and Pistons games this year. <laughs> that is something we would not have done last season. No chance. No chance. But, I mean, the Thunder, last time I checked, they have, like, 24 players on their roster. So, they're going to have some decisions to make when it comes to what young players they want to keep around. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, they just have a lot of young guys to choose from. And that's not a bad problem, necessarily. 
Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see uh, who they lock in as their core group. And I'm sure they anticipated having to cut some guys or trade some guys, you know, judging off how many goddamn draft picks they accumulated. But um, so I'm sure they anticipate this situation and uh, their, their G League team is going to be stacked. Oh, yeah. It's gonna, their G League team is going to be competing for a title. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're going to be like the 96 Bulls out there, dude. <laughs> of the G League, yeah. yeah. Of the G League, yeah. All right, so I think that kind of covers everything we wanted to talk about. We didn't get into any of the trades or free agency stuff, but that's okay. We can save that for the next episode when maybe there's a couple more moves we can break down and talk yeah. about. So uh, I think that kind of does it. Thanks, Sam, for hopping on today. I, we got a lot of stuff covered today, and hopefully, uh, barring any technical issues, this should go up. I'm going to edit it tomorrow on Wednesday, so this should go up on Thursday. So... Uh, the next episode will, will probably be next week around Monday or Tuesday, so you guys can look forward to that. So thank you guys for tuning in to the end of this episode. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening and all your feedback, and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Peace, guys.